Howdy, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. Today, we have a lovely, lovely, bright, shiny light of a guest. I am so excited to share with you the wisdom and the knowledge of Sahara Rose, who is the best-selling author of The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda and has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation and to the new paradigm shift by Deepak Chopra. She is a 27-year-old certified Ayurvedic holistic and sports nutritionist, wellness blogger, and host of the Highest Self podcast. Sahara's mission is to awaken people of their innate potential so they can share their gifts and fulfill their purpose on this planet, their dharma. And Sahara not only has this one book that she released last year, but she has another book that she is releasing called Eat, Feel, Fresh, a contemporary plant-based Ayurvedic cookbook that is also a traveling book where she traveled around India to take photos for this beautiful book. And I'm so excited to dive in with her today all about the book, all about Ayurveda and about um, spirituality and her background. It's a really great episode and I am so excited to bring it to you. Today is, of course, Wednesday because every episode is always shared on a Wednesday. But this Wednesday is particularly different because in my corner of the world, I am moving today. I am not only moving out of the apartment I've lived in for two years and have had a lot of life in, but I am moving, moving, meaning I am moving out of Colorado. It's crazy. Go back five episodes and listen to me talk about how I don't know what's going on in my life, but I know I'm going to be leaving Colorado. Um, Yeah, here it is. I am leaving Colorado and the chips have fallen into place so beautifully, perfectly and serendipitously because I didn't pre-plan everything and I just let it arrive to me. And because I didn't get my panties in a wad about making everything black and white, crystal clear, what's the plan, give me the plan, and instead I let the plan be revealed to me, it turns out that I am going to be traveling around the states for a bit, I have no idea how long, I know the three places next on my list, um, but that's about it, and I am so excited, so I shared this on, on last week's episode, I do believe, but I'm bringing it up again because today's actually moving day, which I'm very excited about. And first stop will be Portland. So I'm so excited for those adventures that are on the horizon. And even more so, I am thrilled to be releasing this episode out into the world. And I don't have any other announcements to share today other than if you want to support the podcast, please leave a review on the iTunes show or send your favorite episode, maybe this one, to a friend. That's all I will share in this intro because I say let's go head on over to this beautiful show with Sahara Rose. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host. Maddie Moon. Hey friends, we are joined here with Miss Sahara Rose, author of The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which was impressively endorsed by the one and only Deepak Chopra. Sahara might be one of the first longest people I have connected with. I want to say it was six years ago. I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but maybe not. I want to say six years ago is when we first connected when I was still in very much in the fitness world and writing about 
fitness and bodybuilding at the time, I think still, but like starting very slowly my transition out of that space. And Sahara has had, I don't know if you're still doing this, but eatfillfresh.com, which was this beautiful platform for all of these writers to come on and share their insight on health and fitness. And I wrote for her there and we have been online friends ever since and it has been incredible. So welcome to the podcast, finally, Miss Sahara. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And yes, it was six years ago, believe it or not, maybe close to seven when I was doing Eat Feel Fresh. So it's crazy. And I and I remember your articles. And yeah, it was it was like fitness, but health. It wasn't more. And then I remember your transition. I just remember been watching your whole story. So I'm honored to be here. Oh, I know. This has been like in the works for so long, too, which is kind of fun because we've been trying to get you on my show for forever. And because of that, we've been in email contact for forever very closely. Mm -hmm. And it's been I just I'm so happy for you and all of the amazing things like you've accomplished in the six years. But like more specifically, you've blown up in the past couple years. And like every time I'm on your Instagram story or I go to your website or listen to your podcast, you're like you're just doing everything and all these incredible things and meeting all these amazing people and writing your, like publishing your second book. I mean, seriously, I'm just so impressed with everything you do. Oh, thank you so much. So kind of you. And yeah, just going with the flow. And I've also had shifts in many different journeys, which we can talk about. But I think that when you're in alignment with what you need to be doing, the doors just open for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the topic of today, like the the main topic of today is Ayurveda, which I am so excited to speak with you about because I don't think we've ever talked about Ayurveda on this show. Um, And obviously you're the perfect person to dive into this with. But before we go into that, I want to hear more about your your journey thus far, especially around because I've heard you speak about this on your own podcast of your childhood and like your natural inclinations to things that are spiritual, even as a kid, which I think is adorable and fascinating. So I would love to hear more about your background, your story, and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, well, mm, this is a good one, my story on spirituality, because normally I'm telling my story about health and that journey, but the one on spirituality, really, I remember when I was a kid and it was kindergarten, we were supposed to make our parents Valentine's in school. And I I just found this Valentine a few months ago in my parents' house. This is the only reason why I remember. And it just says, I'm not who you think I am. <laughs> like, that's it. And they're like, uh, I can only imagine how my parents react. It's like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so obviously I came in with some knowing that I'm like in this body, what's going on? And, and I would write about like, Pegasuses and fairies and I was always super mystical and I would do all these rituals like I would find like a feather on the ground and start doing a ritual with that or I found coconuts and I made like my all my family friends everything like line up and I would like crescent them with the coconut and I would just do some weird weird stuff and when I was in fourth grade, I got, I lived in Boston. I grew up there. So Salem was very close by. And that's where, you know, the like witch hunt happened. And they still really preserve the ancient pagan witchcraft culture there. And I was so fascinated by it, like obsessed. I would just read books about it. I would beg my parents to take me there all the time. And then I decided I want to be like a pagan practicing witch and I would get all these spell books and do love spells and then the other kids at school and I would only wear black and then the other kids at school were like you're a witch and one kid actually threw me down a hill and um he was wearing one of those casts that you can walk in and that cast hit my head and I got a concussion and it was literally a burning of the stake. So I learned that it's not safe to be my spiritual self. It's not safe to talk about these things. And I hid it in a box and went the other direction, really, into just, you know, obviously looking good and I wanted to lose weight because I was overweight. I ate a lot of junk food as a kid also. So I wanted to lose weight. I wanted to fit in. I was got really into the jaw rule and hip-hop and all of that and it wasn't until I started practicing yoga and the reason why I got into yoga again was to lose weight and because I had chronic asthma and allergies and I was trying to heal myself from that so I got into yoga and that 
open the door into Vedic practices and learning more about that type of spirituality because I didn't know I just wanted to be spiritual and that and the witchcraft stuff was available to me and then I was like oh there's this other world so I got into that started reading books people like Deepak Chopra and going down this path which eventually led me to traveling living in a bunch of different countries eventually went to India to teach health and sanitation in the slums and then in India I got really sick um and I my body was essentially shutting down. I didn't get my period for two years. I had really bad digestive issues. I would faint. I lost tons of weight. My hair would fall out. I would break all my joints. Like my body was literally deteriorating and I got a blood test. I had zero estrogen, zero testosterone. So my body had gone into menopause when I was around 20, 21. Yeah. And it was actually related to my diet. It was related to me trying to be super healthy and only eating raw foods. I decided now I'm going to be a raw vegan. And um, that didn't work for me because I lived in a really cold place. And I have a lot of vata, which we can talk about, a lot of air-like qualities. So my body had was going into menopause and... It wasn't until I met that Ayurvedic doctor that the moment she saw me, she said, Beta, which means daughter, you too, you too pretty to never have baby. And I was like, huh, how does she know that? And I was infertile and the rate that I was going at, I would, you know, never be able to have a kid. And that was the one thing I always really wanted to be a mom one day. And that's really what hit me that this diet to, I don't know, have, lose weight or have the most amount of micronutrients possible, whatever it was was preventing me from really being a human you know whether you want to have a kid or not if you're infertile there's something going on in your body so i started to learn more about ayurveda and became really fascinated by it and for those of you who don't know what ayurveda is it's the world's oldest health system and it originates from ancient india over 5,000 years ago and it's the sister science of yoga based off mind-body connection so and we'll talk about the different body types etc but it showed me that all of the issues in my body, the lack of period, digestive issues, et cetera, were related to the issues in my mind, anxiety, insomnia, forgetfulness, being unable to complete tasks, um, you know, being interested in so many different things and not even knowing where to start, feelings of overwhelm. And I think a lot of us experience that because as a society, uh, we're trained to be vatas, to lose weight, to only eat green juices all day. So. I started to notice that that opened up a whole new world for me, but I also really longed to make it modern. And that's what kind of propelled me to start to write about it myself. Again, I had never met an author, never knew anything about the publishing world, but I just wanted to write a guide for people like me who had health problems and needed a way to solve it, but weren't going to go to India and figure it all out on their own. So I started to just modernize Ayurveda, look at it from today's lens. What makes sense? What doesn't? How can I, and and I'm plant-based, so how can I replace all this ghee and milk and cheese and cream with plant-based products? And then started playing around, creating my own versions, and then eventually led me to writing Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which is the best-selling Ayurveda book, and now Eat Feel Fresh. So that's basically my journey. Wow. Oh my God. That was so much in such a short amount of time. I'm so impressed with that. Um, Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions that are coming up for me. One of them particularly, before we get into the Ayurveda, I want to just touch on this piece around um, having this vata energy of like wanting to lose weight and doing the green juice thing. And I know from my own journey and from the journey of so many others that that transition from having that kind of mindset of lose weight, be thin, do everything to be thin, even if you're going to be infertile, like thin, 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 like that transition period for you moving from that one mindset of losing weight over, over to loving your body and taking care of your body, which might have come along with weight gain. How did that period go for you and sitting with that discomfort of watching your body possibly change a bit, but gaining all of this health? Did the health feel so impactfully good that it like totally trumped over all of those body image things that might have come up for you? Or did you deal with that as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't, it, like I say it really fast, but all of these are like months and years and tears and all these things in between. So definitely at first I didn't want to gain weight. I just wanted to get my period back. So I was like, how can I do it without gaining weight? And I would read all these articles and it's like, no, it's because of overexercise and under eating. I'm like, mm, there must be another herb <laughs> I can take else. instead. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
But then I eventually lost so much weight that I actually looked sick. And I didn't want to look like that either. I didn't look sexy. And and people would come up to me and be like, are you okay? And like, that's not the kind of thing you want to be. So, um, So I knew I had to. And what was hard was when I started to eat those foods, I had such bad digestive issues that I would actually be in so much pain, like on the couch, like hurling, because my body just wasn't used to eating foods that were heavier or more substantial because all I had been eating were raw foods. So that was hard because, and I think for a lot of people with Crohn's disease or anything else, it's like, it's really hard to gain weight. And I also realized that just as much as there's fat shaming, there's skinny shaming. In fact, I experienced more skinny shaming than I ever have fat shaming because it seems like when people are too skinny, everyone's like, come on, you need to eat a piece of cake. Come on, Mm -hmm. eat that pizza. And you literally can't because your body is so sick. I remember a doctor told me, he said, well, why don't you just microwave ice cream and drink it every night? I'm like, oh, that's a great idea to get diabetes. (laughs) Like. But people don't understand. They're like, how can someone be underweight? But it was actually because no matter what I was eating, my body wasn't digesting and absorbing it. So it was just going right through me, essentially. So I had to realize that this is for my health. This is for the possibility of having a child later on, which there could be nothing more important. And then as I went down the journey, you start to experience a separation between your soul and who you are and this physical body. And then I realized like, wow, this is really just my vessel for being here. I think it first starts with like, heal my body, love my body. And once you've healed your body, you're like, I'm so much more than just my body. And then you've experienced the same thing. And then now I see health as just the predecessor to do the things that you want to do in life. My life is not focused on being healthy. I hope to not have to even think about that so I can go on and live my life and fulfill my dharma. Mm, bingo. Yes, there's this. That's one of the like the transition period, what I was speaking of earlier, of like moving from thin over to body acceptance, then body love. And like the real gold comes once you can finally let go of all the body stuff. Yeah. And you realize like, okay, now I'm in my body. Finally, it's taken me 21 years to arrive, but I'm in my body now. What are we going to do with this body? What are we going to do in the body? Are we going to see the world? Are we going to travel? Are we going to have a relationship? Are we going to build a business? Like there's so many things now that I can do because I'm finally in my body and I'm here and I'm arrived. Okay, so Ayurveda. What you said is this is the most ancient health system there is. What else can we know about Ayurveda that's like for the fundamental level to help us understand what this system is all about? Yeah. So according to Ayurveda, there is no one diet or one herb or anything that works for everyone. It's really bio-individual. And on top of that, it's not one diet that just works for you. What works for you at one point in your life may not work for you in another. What works for you in the summer won't work for you in the winter. So it's really allowing you to look at your life holistically. The word Ayurveda means the knowledge of life. Look at your life holistically. Only food is one-fifth of your overall health. But the other four-fifths are your environment, your relationships, your lifestyle, and your spiritual practice. So you look at food, but food is really the entry point into to everything else. And a main part of Ayurveda, though it's not everything, but it's a really good way to enter into the world of Ayurveda are the doshas. And the word dosha means energy. And there are essentially three energy types or archetype types. And we are all a combination of all three, but in varying amounts. And those three are vata, which means air, pitta, which means fire, and kapha, which means earth. So we can talk about what they mean, but essentially we all have these elements within us, just like in Chinese medicine, they have the five elements also. Ayurveda is also five elemental, but I like to break it down into three because it just makes it easier. But technically, vata is air and space, pitta is fire and water, kapha is earth and water. But you can just think air, fire, water. So we're all a combination of all three in varying amounts, and it's going to show up in our mind and body. And it's actually even related to our purpose here on the planet. If you think about astrology, right? You're not just one planet. You're not just a Gemini or just a Capricorn. You're a combination of many planets, but in varying amounts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So I one thing that's really confused me, I guess, so to say, is when I'm looking, well, maybe I'm a little bit premature in this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. So I know that from understanding and doing your quiz as well, I am pitta and I'm fire and very fiery, but I'm very close 
closely related with both the other ones, Vata and Kapha. Like I think on your quiz, I took this, I loved it. And I think I got six on um, Pitta and then five for the other two. So what happens if you're so closely within all three of them, you rank closely with all of them? Yeah. So we all were born with something called the Prakriti, which is our natural born constitution, which is, for example, you may have been born primarily Pitta, fire, secondarily Vata, lastly Kapha. But then your diet, your lifestyle, your your mood, everything changes that. And that's your Vikriti, what you have today. So we may have an imbalance going on today that's not necessarily what our dosha is. And I feel like this will make a lot more sense if I explain what the doshas are. Yes, so, yes, let's do that. Yes. So Vata air, if I said, mm, I'm dating this guy, he's really airy. What do you think he's like? Probably very, um, he's like whatever the opposite of grounded is like he's flighty. Maybe he's a little bit spacey possibly, but also like creative, I would think inspired. Exactly. Totally. He, when you come to LA to do acro yoga, you'll find many of them. Oh, by the I'm beach. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so they're airy, very, oh yeah, I'm going to like surf and travel yeah. and start a nonprofit organization. The tone, I love the tone you're and, using. Oh. And yeah, I'm probably going to like be the CEO of a major company, but like keep it really chill, yeah. you know, like it's like, okay, cool. So what do you do right now? Oh, you're a cashier. Cool. Like, so it can be really up in the air dreamer, which can be a great thing. They're visionaries. They're able to see the world that most people can't. I think of Steve Jobs energy because Steve Jobs is a quintessential Vata. We'll talk about the body, but just in the mind, he was able to see this world where we have iPhones that do everything for us. But at the same time, we all have watched his movie and we see that he was a bit erratic and difficult to work with and um, even a lot of the stuff in Apple he was dictating others to do but he wasn't being involved with at all Mm -hmm. so with Vata's they naturally are like birds looking at things from a higher perspective but at the same time sometimes they can be disconnected from reality and they can get anxious because when your thoughts are uncontrollable you get anxiety which leads to insomnia because you're unable to sleep and you're unable Mm. to tame the mind and then in the body you have air-like quality so if I was like oh Maddie I feel like my stomach has a lot of air in it what do you think that's like you're so gassy you're bloated gassy bloated so what do you think I'm in my colon if there's air in my like colon area what would my stool be like oh this is great I love that you're asking me I would say, like, <laughs> I don't know, actually, I have no idea. Hard. So constipated, right? Hard, yeah. dry. Yeah, we don't talk about this, so it's sort of this like, oh, can I, this is can awesome. I say constipated? <laughs> like, but that's what it is. It's it's yeah. it's like little deer pebbles, right? Yes, and, yeah. And everyone knows what I'm talking about, so don't front like you don't poop. Like, <laughs> little deer pebbles. So you can see that in the body, it's cold, it's dry, and you're seeing it in, in your poop. Your poop is telling you everything. Mm. On your tongue, you'll see cracks, right? It's like, it's like, the air, it's the wind, it's dry. You're even going to see cracks in your tongue. Your skin's going to be dry. Your hair is going to be dry. Your period will dry up. It may eventually stop. Your digestion's going to be like cold, like almost like a cranky old house that you haven't been in in a long time that like sometimes it works, but a lot of times it's just really cranky. So that's what a vata looks like. And people who are born naturally more vata, they have it in their prakriti. They probably have long, lean bodies, long faces, caved in cheeks. Again, imagine Steve Jobs. He's a quintessential vata. Thin hair, propensity for um, balding and gray hair earlier in life. Again, because vata's aging, propensity towards wrinkles because of the dry skin. Um, but it'll, it could also look like a ballerina's body, like Natalie Portman or Kira Knightley, or even Angelina Jolie is sort of Vata. She's also Kafa too. Um, but just so you can kind of see what they look like in real life, those long, lean, like marathon runner bodies are those who have naturally more Vata. But anyone can experience the Vata imbalance, the bloating, gas, constipation, anxiety, insomnia. And you said Vata is naturally aging. What does that mean? Yeah. So we have age cycles. So when we are little kids, we are more 
kapha, which I'll talk about. We're earthy. We fall down a lot. We're like, I'm okay. And we have snot coming down our nose all the time. We have round cheeks and, you know, flush. We look flushed. We look lively, right? How beautiful is a child? And then middle of your life, you're pitta, you're fiery, you're getting shit done. You're finding your spouse, you know, and it's like a lot of pressure. And then the end of your life, you're more vata. And that's Mm. when you start to age. And naturally, that's when your period will go away or you start to dry up and get more wrinkly. And then if you've ever talked to like an old person, they're like, like my grandpa, he was like a professional boxer and in the army of Iran. And now he's like, I'm just a poet. And he's a vegan. Oh, <laughs> he's just he's so like turned so vata. And you see also vata is in charge of the central nervous system. So you may shake. So old people, their hands are always shaking. But a lot of young people have tremors, restless leg syndrome, mm. ADHD. This is all too much vata, too much air and movement in the body and not enough grounding. This is really interesting. My So my sister ha- is, when I think about the, the body type, she's very vata and she also has tremors. She, her hands shake. And yep. like a lot of the digestion stuff we just talked about like has happened, popped up in her life here and there. So wow, I'm like putting putting things together here. This would be really good for her. Yeah, so what she needs is more grounding. So she needs more root vegetables, which are grown under the earth. So they contain the grounding properties. More cooked foods. Raw foods are dry, cold. They're going to increase your vata. And the reason why so many health-conscious young women are vata imbalanced is because the food society tells us to eat to be healthy are salads, smoothies, green juices, which can be healthy, part of a healthy lifestyle, but if it's all you eat, you're going to really increase your vata. And then, I don't know about you, I have like 30 tabs in my computer at once, and I'm like, oh, my bank, oh, I need to go on SoundCloud, oh, I need to do... And that's going to increase your vata because you're you're moving like the wind. It's it's erratic. It's unsettled. So that's going to later on when you try to sleep at night, your mind is still running a race like that. So we're experiencing anxiety more than ever before and vata imbalances in the body more than ever before. Wow. Okay, cool. Got it. Yes. So Pitta, if I was like, ooh, Maddie, that girl is fiery. What do you think she's like? She's like passionate. She she will say her say she'll take a stand for something she's probably kind of loud um she's sassy mm-hmm. totally exactly so that is a pitta right there they are determined they're go-getters they have that you know like i think of jennifer lopez right she's like i'm gonna get it she's like 45 crushing it more than ever before i mean a rod is probably in for a ride i don't know them personally but this is what i think about in my free time what doshas and celebrities are so they're go-getters they're ambitious they are passionate they are good speakers they are good leaders and managers and ceos in general but at the same time when things don't go their way so pitas are super organized they like to you know know what's going on they're the kind of people you're going to hang out with them in like a month they're like let's set up the google oh, cal so okay. me so yeah, they're like, we're going to go for our, our walk. Okay, 1114, meet me at this <laughs> northeast point. And we're going to finish at this time and like confirm 24 hours in advance. So yeah, yeah, you totally have the pitta going on. <laughs> um, I have a lot of pitta too. That's actually my primary dosha as well. So, um, so they're goal oriented and organized. I don't know about your house. Are you super clean? And well, I know you said growing up, you were super clean. Oh, obsessively clean. Like so, so everything has a place. Everything needs to have a pocket, a folder, a box. It needs to be put away. So that's your pit to mind. That's something you're born with. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Just like a so, kid too. Like my food couldn't touch. I was one of those kids that if my food touched, I wouldn't eat it. Yeah. That's your pit to mind because the pit to mind is like fire and it's like, okay, this, everything needs a place. Everything needs to make sense, which is amazing if you're going to lead a massive team or become the president you could do that because you're like okay everything in its place you're able to think really um like categorize your thinking whereas avata is like i don't really know everything's just kind of like fluid like picasso paintings together whereas the pizza is like you know okay this is a situation like they you your friends may come to you with a problem and you're like okay all emotions out this is what you're doing wrong (laughs) (laughs) They're like, ah, you know? <laughs> which is the skill of a pit. That's part of your dharma. That's part of why you're here. But at the same time, what can happen is that fire can get excess and it can turn into a volcano. So what happens when someone cancels their plans and doesn't say no on Google Cal and it just ruined your whole day? Mm-hmm. 
and you're frustrated and then that can turn into anger so anger impatience just being irritable pit doesn't move really fast and if they are on a team that people are not moving as fast that can make them just feel super frustrated I feel like that all the time too. oh my god yes like it can it can be like in a conversation like I remember dating someone that talked so slow and we just couldn't date anymore because the way he talked was so slow and like in walking, I can, I, I can get frustrated with people if they walk super, super slow. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Cause that's your pitta. Your pitta wants to know where are we going? Yeah. You know, it needs to have a, a point. It's like, we're not doing, okay. Is this just for fun? Then I need to know that in advance. You know, it's like they, they need to have reasoning for everything. And that's not a bad thing. That can actually be a really good thing. As long as the shadow side of the anger and frustration and impatience is balanced. So pittas need to have more cooling foods, lots of leafy greens, like the foods that are not so good for vatas, they're good for pittas. So lots of leafy greens, cucumbers, cilantro, coconut water, coconut oil, coconut products in general, things that grow in the summer or tropical type foods. Those are things that are going to really cool down the pitta's fire and spending time by water. Like a, you said, you, you live near rivers or a beach. That's going to be super, super good for you. And then staying away from heat building food. So I don't know if you like spicy foods. Are you a fan? Yeah, it's funny because you're like the, everything you're sharing is what I do not ever eat. And then I eat spicy things. I eat mostly warm. I eat mostly like cooked foods. And I live in the mountains, so I'm more like in the mountain area than yeah, ever. Yeah, no, water. you're you're not living right for your dosha. Oh so. my god. So too much, so spicy foods is a massive no-no for pittas because when you eat spicy foods, you're literally sweating. It's so heat building and you need to decrease the heat. Eating too many um, garlicky and oniony foods, like if you're making garlic sauce or putting a lot of onions in your cuisine, traditionally in Ayurveda, they say no garlic and onions if you're a pitta because it's heat building, it's it's pungent. Um, For example, doing like, sriracha sauce or tomato sauce too many nightshades are not recommended for pizza also because they're heat building you can do cooked foods that's totally fine but you'll want to do like brussels sprouts and asparagus and like bitter green foods those are going to be really good for you and um and make sure you're not overexerting yourself because that's going to stress your body out too much like adrenal fatigue is a really big problem for pittas and something i i have dealt with this past year mm-hmm. yeah and i relate to that right now i I don't know exactly what, how adrenal fatigue gets diagnosed outside of going to a doctor, them telling you have it. So I don't know how many times I've had it in my life, but I feel like I've had it on and off quite a few times, mostly just like from exhaustion or brain fog. That's a big one for me. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's basically when your cortisol, your stress hormone levels are up for so long that your body's essentially like, I can't handle this. So it crashes and then you get, you wake up and you feel tired, et cetera. So, um, Pittas, they tend to have more muscular bodies. They tend to naturally gravitate towards things like bodybuilding and <laughs> CrossFit and stuff like that because, again, they like to work out with that purpose. So for them being like, okay, I'm getting more muscular, I'm getting more mindset, et cetera, that, that enlivens them. So you'll see a pitta, like I like to say in a yoga class, you can see everyone's dosha. So the vatas are in the corner, like doing some random dance move that they're making up. You're like, okay, the pittas are in the front. They're like (laughs) 10 minutes early. They're like in a plank during Shavasana. And like, like between every chaturanga, they're like in a handstand and like, who the hell knows? They're like having a competition between two pittas over who can do more handstands in the practice. And then the kaphas, which we'll get to next, they're just in child's pose the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun. Once you know this, guys, you can judge everyone you meet and it's going to be amazing. I love this. I can't wait. Yeah. So pittas, cool down, be by the water, keep it real flowy. And also things like dance and like just creative, like a vinyasa flow and yin yoga. That's going to be really good. You don't need to be going to like core power yoga mm-hmm. twice a day. That's mm-hmm. not what the pitta needs. Pittas should not even be doing hot yoga at all. Really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. But you gravitate towards it because yeah. you like that feeling of exertion and feeling hot because that's what your body has been so used to operating from. Like my subconscious level, it's saying it's not really yoga if it's not hot yoga. Right. I mean, I feel you. I was diehard hot yoga, hot yogi until I broke out in hives and my body is like, okay, no. Um, But eventually your body's going to, it's going to show up and 
like heartburn, acidity, those are all pit imbalances because it's too much heat in the stomach. So your heart is burning. I don't know if you ever experienced like acid reflux yep. or anything mm-hmm. that yep. you do. Okay. Totally. So that's your digestive system telling you. Um, acne, acne prone skin. Again, heat is rising, trying to leave your body. So that's acne in the face, rashes, rosacea, um, just like really sensitive skin. Pittas have to be really careful on the food products, skincare products. They're the most sensitive of all of the doshas. So they're the kind of person, like if something's not organic, it's really going to affect the pittas, even though pittas are the kind of people who are like, I can eat whatever I want and I'm good, (laughs) but they're actually the most sensitive. So they need to be really taking care of what they're putting into their bodies. Um, and if your stomach is acidic, that's a sign. You need to be actively alkalizing. And then what does that feel like, an acid in your stomach? Does it feel like your stomach's cringing and hurting? How does that show up in the digestive system? Yeah, so it'll feel like almost like a warm feeling moving up your esophagus, like when you're okay. like like kind of like your heart throat area feels warm. Some people may experience a metallic taste. Some people may actually experience like pain in their chest area. Um, there's different ways that people experience it, but the time that for me, it's almost like a, a warm feeling. And that's how I know that that's the acid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So kaphas, they're the last of the doshas and they are related to earth energy. So Maddie, you know, that ex-boyfriend you had that, Mm, maybe talked like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you meet people often, maybe on your podcast that talk like Absolutely. this? Absolutely. And when <laughs> I think of that, I think of I think of like Tauruses, very yeah, very exactly. grounded. Like uh, there's a period in my life where there was like three Tauruses, boom, boom, boom. I date. I went on dates with, and they were all. I was like, why am I attracting all these Taurus people? Because they were all like slow walkers slow talkers like really grounded and for a little while I'm like this is really good for me I like this it's keeping me grounded and slow until it like reaches its limit totally I I exactly relate them to to Tauruses and the planet Venus in general they're very Venusian which is you know in the old like 1600 paintings there's like the naked woman eating grapes naked and she has this like curvaceous body and it's very Taurus cough of Venusian earth so it's earth energy if you think of if I'm like ooh, I have a friend she's such an earth mama what do you think she's like Mm, an earth mama oh my gosh that reminds me of one of my friends who's totally an earth mama just like I when I what comes to mind is so so grounded and like motherly. Exactly. That's exactly what kafas are like. So they're motherly. If you think of the earth, earth is mother. Mm, the earth yeah. gives and it provides and it gives us all these resources and we take, 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 take. And then eventually earth is like, hey, earthquake, hurricane, tornado, I can't, I can't keep giving anymore. Mm-hmm. But it takes a really long time to get to that point. So kaphas are natural born givers. They are calm, patient, loyal, humble, friendly, funny. They put everyone in front of themselves. I think of Oprah, Oprah energy. Oprah is like, why do we love her? Not because of what she says, because of how she listens, because she can hold that space because she comes forth with such a grounded energy that you can say anything to her and she's still going to make you feel loved, seen and heard, which is a superpower. So that's what Kafas have. They have this motherly, all giving energy. Think of the grandmother, the grandmother who lives for her children and grandchildren. That's what Kafas are really like. But on the other side, when you give and give and give too much, you end up feeling depleted. So kaphas often, though they seem the happiest, they may suffer from depression. They're the most likely to become depressed. And in that giving, giving, giving to take in, they may overeat. So emotional eating, overeating, binge eating, binging and purging is all related to kapha. So a good example of this is Robin Williams. Robin Williams was making the world laugh, funniest guy. We can see he has a kapha face, kapha body, but we did not know what was really going on because he didn't want to let anyone know because coffers feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and they need to be the one who's supporting everyone. And if it's not them, then who? But that's an illusion and that's a story that they're telling themselves. So coffers really need to know how to speak their truth, how to speak up, how to ask for help and where the imbalance is in the throat chakra area. So they tend to get mucus, phlegm, coughs, 
congestion, and hypothyroidism, which makes you gain weight. So that's like another big kapha issue. They gain weight. They get heavy. They get ground, too grounded. And they especially gain weight in their lower parts, thighs, hips, the curvaceous, the pear-shaped body. And it may be very, very difficult for them to lose weight. They don't want to work out. They want to sit and, and stay at home and cuddle. They're like cuddly bears. But that's the opposite of what the kaffas really need to do. Kaffas are like, yeah, let's just stay home and like Netflix binge watch. They're that friend, but that's not what they need. Maybe the vatas and the pittas need to chill out. The kaffas should be going on a hike, going on a run, doing doing something that gets them moving. And when they start to physically move, they start to move and change in their life. So kaffas are really routine. They tend to have the same friends for their whole lives, live in the same place, work the same job, even if it's not serving them. They could be in a relationship that's not serving them. So they need to learn how to make change and how to be comfortable with it. So it starts in the body. It starts in the diet. Little things, little things that you can do. Maybe I'm going to go to this exercise class that scares me a little bit and I don't need to go all out, but I'm just going to be there. And that's, that's the first step I do. But just to move in that direction. And then in terms of the diet, stimulating foods, things that are going to get you revved up. So spicy foods and spices are good for kaffas. They should be having those. Ginger, turmeric, cumin, anything that's going to get their metabolisms going because that's going to get their minds going too. So it's interesting because the things, the dietary suggestions contradict themselves. And this is kind of the problem with Western medicine. They're, you know, the pittas who may be like all paleo are saying that really works, but then the kaffas who have a hard time, they need a different diet. So we have to really look at the individual and the, the doshas just give you that language, that framework to describe what you're feeling physically and emotionally. So you can seek out the suggestions that are going to bring you into balance. Oh my God. Thank you for that incredible breakdown of all three of those that was so good like I feel so knowledgeable the way that you went through each one of those thank you awesome oh I'm so glad because it's been really hard for me to retain this I've I've read things and I've done some studying and for for whatever reason it's been a little bit challenging for me to retain all this but now I feel like I am definitely a professional now you know um yeah um okay so one thing that I am very curious about is when you are looking for foods to eat. So I went to Kripalu. Have you ever been there? Have you taught there? I haven't. They emailed me recently, but I haven't gone yet. So they are all Ayurvedic. And when you go into like the food area, everything is labeled. And I think the way that they wrote out, I might be wrong about this, but what I remember is that the little labels would tell you what the food is. And then it would say something like, for pitta or good for pitta or something like that so does that mean that it's good for if you want to increase your pitta or if you are pitta and you want less of that because that that didn't make any sense to me yeah so normally if they say something good for pitta that means it will decrease your pitta if you have excess pitta it will decrease your pitta so it may have been a salad and they said this is good for pittas because it's going to be cooling um so you know i think that sometimes it can be really confusing for people when they specify like a food is just for a specific dosha because when we eat, normally we're eating more than one ingredient, which is why with my cookbook, I made it all tridoshic, which makes it so much easier. I lived with Ayurvedic doctors in India for two years and everyone in the family ate the same food. It wasn't like everyone got their own catered meal. There are ways to make food tridoshic, meaning it works for all three doshas. So you take out the raw foods because that's going to really bother the vata. You take out the spicy foods because that's going to bother the pitta and you take out the dairy or excess bread, starches, carbs, because that's going to bother the kapha and you include the six tastes. So there are six tastes in Ayurveda that we need to be having every day. Can, can you guess the six tastes? Yes, I think I know this one. Okay. There right. is um, like a proteiny taste. Right? Kind like pungent. I think that's what pungent. you mean. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah okay. Maybe that's it. Um, sweet. Oh, I think what you were thinking of is umami, which is a Japanese taste, which it's not an Ayurveda, but I would relate that kind of to pungent. Pungent is like, like flavorful, like onions and garlics, but we'll give you pungent. Okay. Pungent, sweet, salty, um, sour. Am I doing okay? Yeah, really good. Okay. Um, uh, sweet, salty, sour, um, uh, uh, bitter. Yes. Okay. And um, 
Spicy? So you only have one more right right now, right? Spicy? Yeah. No, this last one is hard. Okay. You're not going to get it probably unless you're like a chef. It's called astringent. Astringent. Yes. So sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent. So a sweet food, sweet potato, butternut squash, quinoa, avocados. These are all sweet foods. They're building. They provide you with energy and we all need them every day. And if we take them out of our diet, we go on this really strict diet with like, no, you can't even think about fruits when you sleep. What's going to happen is you're going to crave all types of sweet foods. Like when I was a raw vegan, I would go on Pinterest and like just dream of brownies. <laughs> and like that was obviously my body being like, mm. we need more sustenance, more energy. But mm. the easiest way to get it is like the most sugar-filled food. So we all need something sweet every day. Sour, lemon, vinegar, etc. These foods help break up fat and help increase digestion. Salty foods, sea salt, celery, sea vegetables. These foods help our body retain water. A lot of people, they go salt free because they don't want to be bloated. I'm sure you've seen at fitness competitions. They like don't eat salt. Oh yeah. I was one of them. Yeah. But you actually end up getting like chronically dehydrated mm -hmm. later on and then retaining more water. So we need something salt. It doesn't have to be excess, but just naturally in your, in your foods. And if you really have to be salt-free because you have like hypertension or something, you can do celery or, or sea vegetables because they're high in the essential minerals. Bitter, leafy greens, basically every vegetable is bitter. Pungent, if you use turmeric, ginger, garlic or onion, which again, if you're a pitta, you don't want to do excess garlic and onion, but all types of spices that give flavor to the food, they're heat building and um, they help improve digestion. So for example, if you're vata or kapha imbalanced, you want to increase your pungent foods. And then astringent. Astringent means to take in water. So things like beans and legumes and lentils, these are all astringent foods, which would be your protein source on a plant-based diet, um, as well as foods that kind of have a puckering taste. So like cranberries and um, pomegranates and unripe foods, those would be astringent too. So doing something like a Buddha bowl, I call them six taste bowls. I have that for lunch every day I don't have to think about it I'm like okay did I get all my tastes in oh I'm missing sweet I'm missing bitter there you go that's try doshik right there and you can you can alter the portions for the dosha you're trying to balance like if you're doing more if you're more um kapha for example you don't want to do excess sweet you want to do less of that and I have them all listed in both of my books so people can check that out but the six tastes we all need and then for dinner you can do something tridoshic so something that's cooked something that's not too spicy and doesn't have cheese or bread in it so that leaves a lot of stuff you could do curries you could do pho you could do stir fries roasted vegetables, cauliflower baked. There's so many things that you can do that are still tridoshic. And that just takes out a lot of the confusion out of the question. This is amazing. I love that you made it tridoshic. Like I like, cause when I'm thinking about, oh man, if I'm pitta and I'm trying to decrease this and there's this food that I probably shouldn't eat or this food that I probably shouldn't eat, but there are ways that you can make things like curries, which are naturally really spicy, not so spicy. So that is good for pitta. Like I love this. This is awesome. Yeah. And then do like lots of broccoli and like leafy and stuff like that in your curry that will also increase the cooling properties and maybe on the side if you like salads you can also have a salad with it so it doesn't have to be super confusing I think that's why Ayurveda has like remained on the fringe because people have made it so hyper confusing and it's really not and when you go to India and you see how they live everyone is eating together this is part of being a family and this is part of being a community and i think that that's missing in the western world and we are so individual and for the first time it's been up to us to feed ourselves three times a day this has never actually existed before and that has put a huge burden on us and really my dream and my hope is that you don't have to worry about food anymore so you can go on and fulfill your dharma mm. Something that I've read that you have done like for many years is that you you don't have cravings like because you're so balanced in the way that you eat and you don't have cravings anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to things like sweetness, I know for, for me and, and many different people, like I try not to have too much sugar in my diet, but then I realize that I start relying on stevia and I have a lot mm -hmm. of stevia because I still like crave that. And it's mm -hmm. probably to some extent because I don't have enough natural sweetness in my life. Like I don't eat all that much fruit. So what are your thoughts on like those kinds of sweeteners and those kinds of sugars in an Ayurvedic perspective? 
Yeah, so my favorite sweetener is liquid monk fruit sweetener, which is just pure monk fruit, which is a fruit that grows in the steppes, the high mountains of China. So the reason why it's monk fruit is because the monks used to have it, and it's very, very sweet. It's like 80 times sweeter than sugar. And there are companies, like there's one like Lacanto that you can get it, but don't get the powdered ones because these powdered ones, they add other chemicals and substances to make it look like sugar and have a one-to-one ratio of, of sugar. That's not what you want. And they have sugar alcohols also, which cause digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Just pure liquid monk fruit, which Lacanto has it. I'm sure other places have it too. I have had my little droplet that cost me $8 for like at least a year and a half. And I have it every night like I'll put two droplets in like my turmeric latte or something and that provides me with the sweetness and I eat raw dark chocolate there are brands that have it sweetened with monk fruit you can get on Amazon I forget what they're what they're called but there are different brands that have it um or you could do some stevia you know kind of people say stevia is still sweet uh it's still safe but some are saying that it can be related to um infertility and it has yeah, and it has traditionally been used as a contraceptive in Mexico. Oh my God, are you serious? I never knew this. Right, but that's like if you're eating a lot, like if you're eat because it's a leaf. If you're eating the leaves, that's how they would use that as, as a contraceptive. But if you're trying to get pregnant, I really would not be using stevia. For everyone, I would say just switch to monk fruit. It's just easier. It doesn't have the bitter aftertaste and there aren't any known potential side effects. Yeah. And like if you're if you're eating it, if you're using it like the little packets and the powder every single day for years, that certainly adds up. And I think that that would make. Oh, you some... don't want to be doing the, the powders for stevia or for anything. Yeah. No, no powders at all. If you're using stevia, it should be stevia in the raw, which you can get the non-alcoholic version. But I don't use stevia anymore unless it's in something that I buy. Good tip. I'm really glad that I asked that. I'm really glad because I wanted to get your perspective on that. Okay, last thing before we go into the the divine deep dive round, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the process of, of creating this book. Like what's one of the things you were so excited, the most excited about the launch of this book? Yeah, well... When I got this book deal, I got the book deal before Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda came out. I did not know how that book was going to go. I honestly was like, I'm going to have to get like a regular job as a real estate agent once this book comes out to like support myself. Like I did not know what would happen. And when I just imagined what, okay, this, this is my last book. What do I want it to look like? Like, what do I want the essence of the book to be? And I just, on my walk, I just saw myself in front of a blue house with a basket of fruit wearing an off the shoulder dress. And And I was just envisioning it to be like a travel book too. And I was like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. And then I realized there's a blue city in India. So I spent my entire advance. I didn't make any money from this book. I spent everything to go to India. I went on Instagram because all the photographers I could find online were super expensive. I went on Instagram, connected with photographers in India as young as 18 years old in like literal villages. I'm not in big cities. I'm in desert villages hours away from any city. And I would meet up with these total strangers and I'd say, let's just walk around and see what happens. So we would walk around and then, you know, in India, everyone's super friendly. They're like, oh, like come to my house. Yeah, I would cook. So I would go to their house and I would cook and we're just taking pictures and we're just seeing what, what happens. And I had to totally trust and surrender. And I have a lot of the pitta too, which was super hard to do because I, I could have just gone to India, spent my entire advance and not gotten a single good picture out of it. But I had to trust that this was just going to happen. And it really surpassed my vision. So I'm really excited for people to see a side of India that they don't normally see. I feel like when we think of India, we think of slumdog millionaire, poverty. It's like red and orange. It's this very like specific kind of dark, sad look. And I wanted to show the India that I fell in love with living there for so long. That's bright, colorful, playful, curious, bright blue, totally different from the India that you see on on mainstream media. And I really feel like that was captured in the book. We literally were in villages that don't have electricity, cooking on fires on the floor. And you'll see that all in the book. So I'm excited. And I hope it inspires people to go to India, volunteer in India and, and help the community there. That's one of the things that I think is so unique about your book is that it is also part travel. Like, and it's so freaking colorful. Yes. It's just 
gorgeous. And what I find even more inspiring is the fact that you had this vision and like, you know, it's so easy to get these visions of what we want for our, our little babies, our projects, our, our creations in this world and like what want them to come to fruition. But you let go of those expectations and you just said, let's see what happens. And obviously from looking at the cover of your book, it's exactly what you envisioned. It's gorgeous. Totally. And I do believe that these insights, ideas we have are gifts to us from the universe and they're given to us because we are the right people to fulfill them. You're not given an idea, a dream, a vision if you don't have the capacity to make it happen. It mm. comes in through the vata, through the mind, through the idea, but you have the pitta. We all have the drive to achieve them, to get those things done. And then we birth them out into the kapha. So Everyone listening, if you have a crazy vision dream, it's not a coincidence. It's because you have full power to make it happen. Yes, yes. I love it. And your podcast is completely full of all these kinds of inspiring messages. So everyone, make sure you listen to the Highest Self podcast. It's very much one of my top favorite podcasts. I love your show. And Eat, Feel, Fresh, your cookbook will be out for everyone to purchase in stores everywhere October 2nd. Is that correct? Yes, yes. All right. And pre-order is up, right? Everyone can pre-order? Pre-order is up. And I'm I'm sending everyone a signed book plate in the mail. <laughs> People are going to get things in the mail. How, how retro. Mm. And bonus recipes and all this fun stuff if you pre-order the book because it's just super, super helpful for authors. So my gift to you, it's on eatfeelfresh.com slash book. Beautiful. And I will have a link to pre-order on the show notes for this episode, episode 221. And once it is October 2nd, and if it's past that, I will make sure that I substitute that link for the actual link to order it. So anytime that you listen to this episode and you want to grab her book, and also I highly, highly recommend you get The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda as well. I'm about to be traveling. I'm leaving my home and I'm only traveling with a couple bags, a suitcase, and two of the books out of like five books I'm bringing are both of Sahara's so it's ah, that so good sweet. yeah because I'm so excited I like I want to take both of those books everywhere with me because I want to be able to cook all that stuff whenever I'm traveling around and I'm so excited for it oh I'm so well when you come to Santa Monica I'll have to see you and it's going to be very very balancing for your pitta oh, I know like I'm honestly I feel so attracted to the water and I've never lived I've never lived by the water and I love the mountains. It is so grounding, which is also good for me because I'm so active and like high energy, go, go, go. But the water has this just beautiful healing energy, also very motherly to me. So yes, I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay, are you ready for the divine deep dive round? Yes, uh aho. Aho. Okay, number one. What do you want to be praised for more than anything? Mm, changing the way that people think. If love tasted like a flavor, what would it be and why? Oh, an acai bowl. <laughs> yeah. why? why? Because I love acai bowls and they're <laughs> a good, they're a good version. They're a good mix of like creamy with, um, with the texture and the crunch. I like the balance in my love life. Mm. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be besides your current home? I live in Bali. I love the energy there. It's really a vortex. It's a womb space. It's where I have done so much of my healing work. I know that you've been there and it's, it's every time I go there, I really come back as a new person. If you had a talk show, what would you name it? Mm, um, well, the first thing that came to my mind was get real, but I really wouldn't want to call it that. Get real with Sahara Rose. I would just call it high, highest self with Sahara. I'd keep it oh, on brand. Like okay, smart. Um, what's a social norm that you think is ridiculous? Oh, wow. Where do I begin? Um, I think that we are now changing the paradigm of needing to have PhDs and certain degrees to be able to speak your truth. I think that this is a norm that we feel like we need to achieve or pay our dues or do something to be who we are. And that is ridiculous. And it's going to, it is already changing. What is your, I'm going to, I'm going to use this word guilty. What is your guilty pleasure? Ridiculous pleasure. Um, in terms of food or just life, anything that comes to mind first. 
Um, I mean, I really love my chocolate. Like a day does not go by without my chocolate. And I I gave it up for like a month and I was like, my life sucks. It feels empty. So, <laughs> so I just need it. I, I don't have guilt around it because the feminine, yeah. the Shakti needs mm. some sweet to keep going. But I've definitely gone through phases where I'm like polishing off the whole chocolate bar a day. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to not eat chocolate. But now I'm like, I'm okay with it. Okay. Last question. Actually, two more questions. Second to last, what is one must-read book? Mm, must-read book. Mm, well, I read this book recently, which I loved, and it was called Shit Your Ego Says. And I found mm. it really funny because it the author, I've never met him. He sounds really cool, but he was basically on this like deserted island left by himself, and he was just in grapples with his ego. And just the things that we say that we think are our own thoughts that are really coming from our ego self, I think that's a really good separation to have, that you are not your thoughts. You are not that voice that's screaming at you all the time. You are something so much bigger and so much higher. So I love that book. I love Shantaram. It's a beautiful novel about um, this man who... Well, it's an autobiography, actually. He basically was in prison in Australia, went on a boat and escaped, ended up in India in, in the slums of Bombay. And he had a first aid kit with him. And he was the only one who even knew how to use a first aid kit. So soon people all started to come to them with all their health problems. And he became like the the doctor of this like massive thousands of people slum, but he didn't have money to, they had all these problems and health issues and he didn't have money to support them. So he started to deal drugs to the tourists. And the point of the book is like, is it right or is it wrong? You're dealing drugs and making people sick, but you're also using that money to help people. And it's just a really interesting conversation of duality and how we try to label things and we don't know the whole picture. I like both of those. I'm also super fascinated with the ego right now just because I'm consistently coming up. I'm coming face to face with a lot of egotistical thoughts and patterns and habits. And I, I'm realizing where they're rooted from back all the way until like when I was like three years old, four years old and how they're like so instilled with me now. Mm. And um, I'm reading I'm reading the book. Uh, break the norms you had the author on oh Sean Drish yes he's gonna come yeah. on my show and I'm so excited he is for so it. amazing yeah he's am- he's amazing and I'm reading the part on on the ego right now that he wrote about and it's like really hitting home so I think I'm gonna get that book after this oh yes you'll love it okay last question if you could be any person dead or alive for a full day who would you be and what would you do Honestly, I want to be Osho, and I just want to know what it's like. I want to see what was really going down mm. in, in that whole world before he went crazy and started the whole thing in like Utah or wherever, Oklahoma. Um, I actually, Osho books are a big part of my spiritual journey, and I actually have visited his ashram in India after he's deceased obviously and it was beautiful experience, but there was also some weird stuff going on. I wasn't really a part of that stuff, but. He's so intelligent and so fascinating. I wish that the series on him showed some of the work and the things that he said. They only kind of depicted Mm -hmm. him as this like shadowy creature and all of the drama around him, which undeniably was. And he undeniably was super in the ego by the end of his life. But he has said some profound, profound, amazing things. So I'd love to just kind of tap into that and know what it's all about. Have you done a podcast on that, on like the other side the things that the, the documentary didn't show? I haven't. I really should. Um, it's just such a touchy subject for mm-hmm. people. It's so yeah. like you know, some people really praise Osho as like their god and they go crazy for him. And then other people, you know, they were the locals who lived in, in that area and they really hate him and what it's done. And I actually didn't even know about that stuff of his life until I watched that. And I can so see it happening. But um, in the actual Osho ashram, the one I stayed at was Zorba the Buddha in Delhi. And it was amazing. I did this thing called Nataraj Dance Festival. And it's one week of only like healing forms of dance chakra Mm. dance tarot dance like so 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 beautiful and the people there were amazing but there are there is a ceremony that you can do if you want to become a sannyasin like a follower a disciple Mm. of osho which was like people in like lines like all having orgasms with their clothes on and like really crazy which i did not do but i watched um so that is like i think you know, you can take the juice of what someone says without choosing them as 
guru as their as your disciple but it speaks to this lack and void in people that they so want someone to follow and yeah. idolize and that's where the problem is it's really not him it's it's maybe he's manipulating and using this void that exists in people but it's the void that we need to be speaking to what did you say was the name of this festival it's called Nataraj Dance Nataraj. Festival, and it's at Zorba the Buddha, which is in Delhi, and it's created by an Osho sannyasin, an Osho follower. Um, there, the actual Osho ashram where you have to wear all red and do the AIDS test and stuff, that is in Pune in South India. An not. AIDS test? Really? Yes, um, because there are people do orgies there. It's yeah. a free love. It's a free love place. You obviously don't have to, but that's what made him so controversial because yeah. he's like, he's like, there is nothing good, nothing bad. Everything just is. So like total non-duality. So he was like, yeah, sex, have an orgy, free love. Like, and it was also the 1960s, which was like free love time. So, you know, you could have that experience or you can just read books and chill. He also wanted to make the ashram experience not like, place of torture like I've seen ashrams that it's like it's really really hard but his ashram they have like beds the one in Pune they have like a tennis court and like a nightclub a sober nightclub because they want you to have fun so mm. I mean he's just so fascinating such a fascinating character that I think it's worth looking into and his books some of them he has like 80 books um but some of them like uh what's a good one um so why don't you dance that's a good one. And one on creativity. Uh, he has some so many profound uh, body-mind balance is another one. He has so many. None of the books he's actually written, they're all people who've written down what he's said. Oh. Yeah. So it's like when you're reading it, it, it can feel sort of like weird because you're actually reading a transcription of what someone said. But it's interesting. I like to just learn about different, like who were the people that were impactful in society and why and what was psychologically going on at that time period. This is fascinating. Yeah, because all I really know are a few quotes here and there that I've heard from Osho, which I've loved. But then I watched the documentary and I was like, oh my God, no way. This is this is like crazy. So I, for one, would be incredibly interested to hear a podcast if you ever did. And I know it would be a really big task to like go through and make sure you're saying things to like both sides and all of this stuff. But like, I would be really interested to hear all that you've learned around him. But I'll make sure I have all of the links that you just mentioned on the show notes for this for anyone who's interested in researching more. For sure. Awesome. Well, Sahara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been like, I use this word all the time, but I really mean it. This has been super juicy, like so juicy. I've learned so much from you and I feel knowledgeable, but there's also so much wisdom in this. And I'm just so glad to have you on the Mind Body Musings podcast. So thank you, my love. Uh, so glad to be here. Thank you so much for your work. Everyone, all of the links we have mentioned, which were a lot, will be on the show notes for this, maddiemoon.com slash Sahara-Rose. So just head on over there. And then I highly suggest, like I said, you go over to your podcast app and you you download and subscribe the Highest Self Podcast and follow Sahara on Instagram because she's all over that. I will see you guys next Wednesday for another fun episode. Until then, have a great week and weekend. 